16 minutes it is before 8 p.m. You tuned in to uh, Metro FM Talk here on the Mighty Metro with myself, Ayabong Atkawe, and I'm joined by a business journalist, Annelisa Tuswa, to take a look at some of the top business stories that are moving markets. And uh, Annelisa, I guess, uh, good evening to you first, Mangalin Bulise, and say uh, the first story I want us to take a look at is that of the Treasury. I mean, I was certainly making a big noise uh, early on in the week, when Evan Evan Jim, and uh, uh, also speaking to... Uh, as well from Saka and I was asking them I mean if this gov- if, if the government is not going to uh, you know put some of the money down uh, why are we all jumping up and down and celebrating the outcome of the creditors meeting well it seems maybe some of the DPE knew something we didn't because they've now come out and said it's a clear deal now that uh, they're going to be getting just north of 10 billion rand for this process I think it's a, it's a oh good evening now. <laughs> um, but I think it's <laughs> um, but I think um, like you said, I think it's quite good news. I mean, I, I think everyone was everyone has been following has been following the story um, has been trying to has been following it from step by step. We had a very long mm-hmm. process in just trying to get every creditor to just vote for the plan. And after everyone voted again, everyone was figuring out, okay, so everyone has voted, so what now? Where are we going to get the required 10 billion rand? Of course, Treasury came out this morning um, saying that they are going to... And I think they used quite a, a very careful choice of words that they're going to be... More, they're going to assist in the mobilization of the funds. Um, it, 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 it's quite clear so, so that they're, not they're going to... The money is not coming they, from the fiscus. Exactly. The money is not coming from the fiscus. However, they are going to be part of the solution, which is trying to help um, FAA get that $10 billion. Of course, the money is not going to come from the fiscus because we know we don't have money. And it wasn't mentioned on the budget that we had a few weeks ago. So, I, again, I think it's quite good news in terms of moving the plan forward. I mean, everyone has been saying, OK, we're getting a new airline. But in, for, for us to even get to that stage, this FAA restructure needs to be concluded, and there's no mm. restructure without that 10 billion rand. So I, I, I guess it's good news. Yeah, and I guess this also reminds us to, to really read uh, between the lines and also try and read uh, because uh, many people were going about saying, yeah, we were going to find this money uh, when we were in a tight mm. fiscal uh, environment, and yet... We're going to assist to mobilize, uh, which yeah. doesn't necessarily, I guess, uh, give us any certainty about where this money is going to come from. But uh, let's get away from what's um, happening. Yeah? No, I'm saying, I guess, on our side now, the conversation a lot of people need to be having is where the money is going to come, to come from. Because if you mm. read between the line, like, like we just said, is that they're going to mobilize funds. They're going to be part of trying to find the funds. It's not going to come from the actual government fiscal. So I guess, yeah, yeah. I guess it's quite clear the only money that they're going to pay there are some of those guarantees that are due to the banks. Uh, so, uh, yeah, we're going to have to watch that one closely. But, um, Annalisa, I mean, the other thing I wanted us to really take a look at is um, two things. One is, you know, some of the numbers that came through yesterday from that uh, National Income Dynamics Study, uh, uh, CRAM Wave 1 numbers. Three million people losing their jobs between February and April. Um, and uh, the overwhelming majority of those being black women working in sectors uh, that are characterized by low productivity and low-wage work. Uh, and uh, the story continues. It's certainly a bad set of news. And you add to that that uh, we're probably in the 80th month now of uh, a negative economic activity. 
People are saying this is, the, I mean, least of all the Reserve Bank, they're saying that this is the longest downturn we've seen since the end of Second World War. Second World, World War II. Look, I, I mean, it's always, it's always funny for me whenever, because we speak about those things all the time, but once the figures come out with the actual evidence that things are actually bad, because these numbers, the stats came out directly from the Reserve Bank, and, and I mean, I was counting, it's an, it, we've been on a downward scale for 18 months. That's roughly six years. So things have been sure. going down for the last six years. Um, and I, I, like you said, it, it has a ripple effect um, on employment. And unfortunately, when we speak of employment, there's a certain group in our society, which is black, um, that is highly affected. But even within mm. that black group, black women will always be right at the bottom. Again, I, I, I listened to the president yesterday. Um, I think it was on Indies or on this dialogue with the head of FEDC yesterday. And he was talking about how he's going to make sure that women are prioritized, that all the people that lost jobs during the pandemic are, are somehow accommodated in the system. But I, I, I have to wonder in, on how exactly are we going to be directing that directly to women. I'm a woman first before I'm a business journalist. So how do mm. I even, how does it even make sure that black women in the system are incorporated in a system that, one, isn't really growing? So how do you, how do you bring more jobs to, to, to women? I, it's, it's, I mean, anyway, I'm off ramping now, but back <laughs> to the report. No, no, but I mean, I, the, the point you're making is, is spot on, right? Uh, we are at a moment uh, now where... <laughs> We need to stare reality in the face, Annalisa. We're at a point yeah. now where, on the one hand, you've got a layer of people, I mean, three million million, you've got a layer of people who are either sort of placed in the cold room at home saying, look, if yeah. things turn around, we're talking about people that work in restaurants, we're talking about people with Taven and many other parts of our economy. Uh, and then within those people, there are many others who are saying, I'm not sure I'm going to be able to go back to work. Others have already been laid off. And you're right in the point you make. The overwhelming majority of those people happen to be black and they happen to be female. So, so certainly not uh, our off-ramp, our off-ramp. But uh, I, I want us to pause here for a second because because I, I really think that uh, we need to drive this message home. that uh, It's clear we're not going to be going back to, to any economic reality that resembles where we come. So it is before 8 p.m. You tuned in to Metro FM Talk here on the Mighty Metro. And I'm in conversation for our business rap with uh, Annalisa Tuswa. She's a business journalist. And uh, Annalisa, I mean, I guess uh, to the point that I was making earlier on, I think you, you're really on to something that uh, uh, at some point we need to have an intentional conversation about uh, what is happening in our labor market, what all of that means, uh, because there's no society that's going to be sustainable when you have yeah. the large number of uh, your workforce outside of any meaningful work. And I don't only mean waged work, uh, potentially any work. And I think, I mean, I, we're talking about the everyday South African, but what concerns me, even when I was looking at the quarterly bulletin, when I, is I'm looking at just the people that are, just the, the, the strain on household finances in general. So we're mm -hmm. not just, it's not just a certain kind, even the ones that are even inside the labor market currently, they have to try and, I don't know how to put it, but they also need to try and minimize their, their risk, if I would put it that way. I'm being technical, but they have to try and 
limit that debt, they have to cut down on their spending. That also has its own ripple effect because a society that has unemployed people, that has its own impact just even on the economy. Because if you don't have a job, it means you can't take out that clothing account, so you can't spend on business. Um, if you don't have a job, you can't invest in your child's education. It's just an, a, a circle, a, like a circle that just doesn't end. And it, 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 things at this stage, I look, we, we're on a downward trend for about 80 months. It seems like just even going up, doesn't. It, I don't see a way up. And I, it's such a bad place to be in because I'm just a sure. genuinely an optimistic person. Look, I mean, it, it, it takes years takes decades centuries to to build economies and i think we, we we're going to have to for a very long time in the kind of uh, no growth environment that we find ourselves in and uh, also recalibrate some of the very ambitious plans that we have i mean five percent growth through to 2030 which is what the ndp looks for we're not going to find any of that but but let's leave that for a second i mean i i, I caught a glimpse a little earlier on today of the uh, zondo commission and uh, there was a PwC auditor uh, who was there uh, earlier on today and a very interesting fellow, I must say. Uh, uh, and uh, he was speaking on uh, some of the issues here. One, Mr. Motibe, uh, speaking on the issues related to the audit uh, that PwC undertook with Nkonki uh, uh, between 2012 and 2017 uh, at South African Airways. Now, uh, when the Auditor General started to do this work around 2017, 2018 or so, they found that there were very weak record-keeping processes at the airline, something that w- should have been flagged in the statements. I mean, when we read audited financials, we, we certainly hope that we're going to hear all of the qualitative and material uh, things that are happening and also have some commentary around the internal controls that give a sense to investors about what's happening here and even to consumers and us as taxpayers. That clearly didn't happen in this case. Clearly. And, and I mean, uh, he even got to a point where he says, it was a judgment of error. Um, I think it's quite scary because we're talking about SAA. Um, this was a good five years we PwC and Gondi were literally their auditors for a good five-year period. Um, we documents were omitted, certain information. Um, I mean, there was a, I think there was even, they didn't even, uh, uh, the, the, the Public Finance Management Act, they, they didn't comply that's the right word. They were not even complying um, to the act. And, uh, and I think as, as an auditor that is in, in charge of a state-owned entity, um, you, you start to question on who were SAA's accomplices in this whole mess because it's, 20, it's 2020 now, and they were the auditors about five years, well, for a good five years, five years back. And SAA is collapsing now. So you look at things like this, uh, financial statements in business, they're quite a serious issue. Um, and that's where you get to see a company's performance. That's where you get to see if you're even moving towards a certain goal that you have. If several things were omitted on the statement, how, how many things were omitted before, prior to that, but even post that, because it was taken into the Auditor General, right? And that's where he actually flagged that, no, man, uh-uh. There's a lot of like discrepancies in the SAA's audits. So if it hadn't even gone to the audit, then to, to the Auditor General, I'm, I'm, I'm just sitting here and I'm trying to link it to where we are with SAA. Mm. How deep could it have yeah. been if it hadn't gotten to the Auditor General? But how, 
how how things would have been at FAA if those kind of situations didn't happen. Look, this is not the first mm. situation at FAA. There were so many of them. But I'm just thinking of the accomplices of the people that were part of FAA's yeah. collapse, if I to put it that but way. But I mean, Annalisa, there are no financial statements of SAA. I mean, that should tell us something, that younger Leminyaka, when all of this was happening, there wasn't even a consistent communication to all interested parties, including ourselves as taxpayers, to say, this is what's happening at SAA. Yes, fine, we're running losses, but we want to understand the extent of those losses. Even that wasn't forthcoming. Delays after delays. I mean, you can ask even the people in Parliament, when was the last time you know, they saw some of the financials of SAA and consistently uh, received updates in that way? And um, you know, many of them would tell you that they were complaining about the same thing. So uh, I think it's good that um, many of those who are complicit in the uh, uh, sort of stacked house of cards that we're seeing here and I think as it tumbles down, uh, uh, we're going to see a lot more pressure being placed by the likes of evidence leader Kate Hoffmeyer and uh, many others, including jo- uh, uh, Justice Zondo here. And uh, I certainly found uh, Mr. Motiba in sixes and sevens at some point here about um, all manner of uh, even the, I guess, uh, the instances of uh, the name of one Miss Quinana, which was raised uh, in this particular one. But let's leave that one for a second and uh, take a look at the last story I want us to take a look at, which is about Total in Mozambique. Uh, and it seems the liquid, uh, uh, liquefied natural gas story continues in Mozambique. And uh, it has all of the makings, as I said earlier on, uh, about uh, the story of uh, one Robert McBride. This one also has the makings of a movie. I mean, you've got a terrorist plot. You've got mm-hmm. liquid natural gas. You've got international interests involved. And you add to that the issue of COVID-19. Look, I mean, I think it's on the stories that we just discussed, I think it's a lighter and a bit of good news, if I to put it that way. Um, we're talking about total securing about $16 billion of funding. Um, and, of course, the funding came across the board. But for the Mozambican government, for me, I think that's the, the biggest winner in this because they'll be generating over $50 billion um, over the lo- in revenue over the next 25 years. Of course, the... the like I said, I think if everyone is quite interested in it, not only for the fact that it is a win for Mozambique in terms of their government and ability to just re-ingest themselves into, into, into a winning project, but I think as an African country in Africa, I think for me it's, that's the, the, the most interesting part, that you've got a neighboring country that has a massive project like this. Um, what mm-hmm. effect or what impact could it have um, on our side, because also we, it, I mean, it's a, it's, a, it's a natural gas project. Um, yeah. I mean, I guess the other, fear, yeah. the other fear, Annalisa, is um, also geopolitical. I mean, you've got, uh, I think ISIS, for, uh, for the first time in a long time, claimed responsibility for one of the attacks in the northern part of Mozambique. And, uh, I mean, it had people in sixes and sevens. So it's always this situation, wherever you find gas or oil or anything else, there's always... Uh, a jostling for uh, for power and space and money by different interests. And uh, we'll certainly watch this one closely. But I agree with you, it has massive implications uh, for us as a neighbor here. And uh, also, I guess uh, we also found our own gas of uh, our own shores. So it certainly does uh, uh, mean an entirely different paradigm of operation for much of what's happening in Southern Africa. So we're going to watch this one closely. But Annalisa, as always, a pleasure catching up with you. And thank you very much for your time. Thank you so much, sir.
that there was Anelisa Tusa, a business journalist, speaking to us for our business wrap on this Thursday. Uh, let's take this brief break, and uh, in the next few minutes or so, we're going to catch up with uh, Dr. Kulumbata, and uh, he is uh, certainly somebody who uh, has been with the ANC since, uh, um, uh, I guess, uh, the uh, mid-70s or so, and uh, somebody who... Uh, uh, now is a part of an online exhibition uh, titled Negotiating Democracy. Some interesting pictures he takes there uh, of uh, uh, one of the internal ANC meetings in 1990 in preparations for CODESA. And uh, uh, I encourage all of you to check that out on the Nelson Mandela uh, Foundation's webpage. Uh, some interesting pictures there of the likes of um, Cheryl Carolis, uh, Trevor Manuel, Jill Marcus, Popo Mulefe. Uh, who else did I see there? Joel Nechitenze, Peter Maibuye, uh, and a few other people uh, who I saw in those images. And uh, he'll certainly be telling us all about uh, the context within which he took those pictures and also reflecting on the leadership style, ethos, and legacy of uh, Utato Nelson Mandela. And uh, as we do so, we do so at a difficult time uh, for the Mandela family as well as uh, they uh, prepare uh, to lay to rest one of their own. Uh, so uh, we'll pick up that conversation with Kulumbata in the next few minutes or so and uh, it certainly comes at a time as well where we know the ANC Women's League has their memorial for Zinzi Mandela as well. You might want to comment on that or reflect and engage us on that. Give us a ring 89 We continue on the other side of this.